I'm Tobin Lopez. I'm John King. I'm Carl Anderson. And I'm Brad Andrews. And welcome to the Traxxas Sector Warcast. This is the Traxxas Sector Warcast, a podcast about Warhammer 40k Conquest, the living card game from Fantasy Flight Games. Your hosts are Tobin Lopez, John King, and Carl Anderton. Episode 33, A Thousand Cuts with Brad Andrews. Brad Andrews is married to Nikki Andrews. He's also happens to be the lead designer of Warhammer 40k Conquest, the living card game for Fantasy Flight Games. He was born and raised in Minnesota and has been playing card games since he was about 12 years old. He's been working for Fantasy Flight Games, now known as Asmodee North America, in one form or another since he graduated from college. He started reading 40k novels while at school and he also read the codexes and became entrenched in the universe. He's played the RPG. Zarathur, as many of you know, is based on one of his Black Crusade characters. And he got his first job at the event center at FFG when he graduated from college. And then he got a job as a designer. And he also playtested a bit before that. He's worked on Warhammer Invasion, uh, Call of Cthulhu, as well as his now current lead designer role with Conquest. Uh, He worked on Conquest with Nate Franks and Eric Lang. Welcome, Brad. Thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you for Uh, having me on, Tobin. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, Anything else you'd like to add to your bio? I uh, like long walks on the beach and cliches. <laughs> you like long walks on the beach, but you live in Minnesota. Is there a beach to be had in Minnesota, or there, this... I mean, I we know. have we have so many lakes. I mean, That's true. we have beaches <laughs> beaches for days, my friend. You did say long walks. <laughs> Lake Lake Superior is pretty big. I don't know. If you yeah, know. I was about to say the Great Lakes. I mean, you're you're walking for a while. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you end up in Canada, you walk too long. <laughs> we're, we're up there for technically one of the states with the biggest shoreline, if I recall. It's no Alaska yeah. or like Maryland, but. It's a great state. Um, one, one thing we're, I'm sure, is on the minds of all who are listening. With the new fact coming out, with the new, with the new tourney rules, people really want to know if you have played Pokemon Go yet. Um, I'm. Definitely not playing right now. Uh, <laughs> um, yes, I've been playing a lot. Everyone at uh, FFG and Asmodee has been playing. We actually have um, set up this really cool system. So everyone at FFG, for the most part, has joined Team Mystic. Okay. And, and everyone at Asmodee in North America has joined Team Instinct. And then everyone and the Game Center has joined Team Valor. And the Game Center is a gym. So it's constantly being fought over by all three different factions <laughs> from all three of the different game stores. It's it's pretty incredible. Um, we're having a great time with it. That's awesome. Yeah, it's um, not not just Dad Tanks, and it's just it, it's Warhammer all over. <laughs> little, little microcosm going on there. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's it's, it, it's pretty neat. Um, I just hit level fifteen this morning, so I'm pretty jazzed about that. All right, excellent, man. That's cool. <laughs> If I knew any more about Pokemon Go or what Brad just talked about, I would probably ask him a question or two, but I don't know what is that. Well, Mitch out there is probably curious, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. In the, in the intervening time between us asking and confirming this interview and actually holding it, FFG released a FAQ for Conquest and all their, and all their competitive games, as well as uh, tourney rules for Conquest, yep. which hadn't been out yet. But much of it is already clear. In, in one case, you added a section called uh, Framework Events and Sequences. Yep. And and while the language was technical in nature, can you give us some specifics about what, what that hoped to solve? So that one in particular had come up from a particular rules question. 
and I'm trying to remember the exact interaction, but it's, I believe, on the Sisters of Battle support. Um, I'm trying to remember the name. Oh, Holy Fuselage. The, the range yeah, skirmish. Holy Fuselage, um, of adding a framework event of a ranged skirmish, essentially. Okay. And exactly how that works with the timing on that. Um, let me pull up the card so I have it so I can... Yeah, it's from the Great Devourer. Okay. So the reaction, the timing on that reaction, and if I use that same reaction window to be triggering other stuff, and like, does that other stuff then need to wait until that range skirmish is completely finished, and trying to oh, okay. clarify how that interaction. So again, Holy Fuselot is essentially adding a framework event into the game where it normally wouldn't be. Okay. So. so- so, but, but, and, and that limits Holy Fusilade to adding that framework event at the beginning of a combat round, which isn't the first one. Yes. Okay. I mean, I guess you could add one to the first one because it's after a combat round begins, but it wouldn't do you any good because yeah, you guys wouldn't be ready. So, yeah, it would. Yeah. Okay. All right. And, and so, because people, I think people online were talking about the interaction. And it, that's why I'm, I was interested in asking the question was people online were asking the question about, Outflank them versus a reaction to an attack via the repulsor field, the Tau repulsor field attachment. But I thought the repulsor field attachment reacts as a as, that's part of the resolution of the attack. Yes, which would happen before you had even a chance to play outflank them. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. All right. Thanks it, for that clarity. Again, just one of those ones that we really wanted to make it clarify and make sure we can use effects of this type moving forward. Excellent. So what are the process steps in design, Brad? Uh, you know, concept, first drafting, first draft, testing, revision, final, et cetera. Uh, can you tell us a bit about how, maybe how Unstoppable or Goes Fasto were conceived? Um, so a lot of the uh, specializations were conceived in a design conversation I had a long time ago with Eric Lang about us wanting to add keyword-like effects to the game but without the same weight that a keyword carries because keywords are inherently difficult for new players to grasp and they carry just a lot of rules overhead yeah. more than most people would credit them toward because it's stuff that players just need to understand and know the rules behind them you know even even the reminder text we put on our keywords for their first you know set appearance doesn't capture the whole idea, and so we have whole entries for them in the rules reference guide. Right. So we want, like, so again, just trying to give you an example of like how we would how we would do that. So we see we we find some sort of thing we want to do with the game, and we target that, and see how we can solve you know a problem, if you will. So we wanted to do something. So we were kicking around some ideas, and the idea of having a key, keyword-like effect, stuff we could call out and focus in the same way, be like a target unit with ranged, but now this is a target unstoppable unit. Really have a, a family of effects, something that players can grok and just latch onto. Um, so they sort of slowly developed out of that idea. We threw out a bunch of them. My favorite part is... Uh, Eric really wanted to call Unstoppable Badass. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that, I don't know that you can get away with that. <laughs> I'd have been cool with it. Different different, different game maybe, but yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, we, we moved forward with that. And so it was a, just a brainstorm conversation of like, how do we want to do something unique and different for the game? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. From there, it's a lot of 
iteration, playing around with some language at the beginning, and just trying to throw out ideas of like what fits in this group of effects and abilities, then continuing to like roll down. So a lot of those specializations got designed at the same time we designed the Great Devourer. So we had you know already planned to be seeding those ahead of time in the next cycle. The Great Devourer. So so Hive Mind is one of those one of these specializations, right? If that if I'm yes, correct. Yes, that was the, so that was the, the first one. The first one to come out. Yeah, the specializations are the italicized stuff that aren't bold. Exactly. Right. So okay. we designed a bunch of the specializations at the time we designed the Great Devourer. And so, you know, we were fully intending to continue doing them moving forward. So, Awesome. I, I got to tell you, Brad, as, as a, a player who is not familiar with a lot of the Warhammer 40k lore, you know, I see something on a card like Unstoppable or Goes Fasta that, that you guys have pulled from the lore that came with the, the tabletop game. And it just made me, just makes me go, gee, what does that mean? Or what, how come they have that game? And uh, so I, I just start delving into the lore more and I just really enjoy it. I mean, right now I'm, I'm uh, like you said, Grok. I'm really grokking on all the Destroya stuff that that's going to be coming out here in Slash and Burn. I'm very, very excited for that. So. Oh man, I can't wait for Slash and Burn. It's such a such a fun pack. <laughs> I'm really excited. I, I Carl Carl was uh, teasing me a little bit how how at the last podcast about how excited I am for Grigory Maxim coming out. So. <laughs> yes. So yeah. So it's it, great just seeing that stuff. And I mean, even the artwork you guys pull up, it's just so spot on because I start listening to the lore and then it's reflected in the artwork. And, uh, while Carl looks at the, uh, looks at a picture of an honor librarian of a story officer and goes, yeah, that that's perfect. Exam- perfect example of it. I, it's so fresh and new to, to someone like me. It, it, you guys are just really killing it. It's, it's awesome. Thank you very much. Uh, you know, I got to give a lot of credit to Andy Hore, who's been doing the stories for this, uh, cycle. Yeah, the one in uh, Slash and Burn is great. I love that little uh, flash fiction. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, oh, read it. I have them. I don't even throw them away. I, I, I keep them all. Yeah. <laughs> so no, he, cool. he did a really great job. He um, stepped it up on the stories for this cycle. Obviously, you know, I wish I could have wrote them, but I'm <laughs> such a slow writer. <laughs> oh, is that what the limitation is? Because I have to tell you that that whenever I turn those over and I'm looking for who wrote it, I'm I'm halfway hoping you did it. And you did one or two out of the I did Planet like two and a half. Two um, and a half. Okay. Because <laughs> Tim and I collaborated on the first one, okay. um, and then I wrote two of the other ones, probably the two worst ones. Because again, writing's not my my strong suit. I wanted to challenge myself with that cycle to like, okay, Brad, you're gonna write some flash fiction. It's gonna be hard, but you're gonna do it. Well, yeah. It well, writing long form, writing short form they all have their various challenges writing short form you want to get the picture drawn very quickly right you want to bring that image up very quickly and then yeah. deliver a climax in 500 words yeah maybe? yeah yeah, yeah. You know? well, I, should, I, gotta, I, should. I gotta shout out for uh nate french and katrina ostrander for their help on those stories they were uh harsh editors with me but uh i think the stories came out pretty well for it Good. I am. Um, I should. I shouldn't worry too much. I should pull up some of the stuff when I work for GW. Um, I, of course, like everybody, tried to write my own fan fiction stuff for 40k, and it's not something I would put on a piece of paper. So, <laughs> yeah. No, no. It's 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 tough. 
And then knowing that uh, GW had to approve it, that was like, <gasps> <laughs> oh, that's true. Of course, yes. You get scrutinized. You know? Right. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of eyes on that. But that's that must have been a, a proud moment for you when you when they said, "Yep, that works." Yeah. No, it was it was really validating. Um, you know yeah. that I, at least you know, am not completely terrible. I think my favorite comment I saw on the board about one of my stories was like, man, this reads like bad fan fiction. And I'm like, yes, that's a bad fan fiction. <laughs> Success. <laughs> Switching again from bad fan fiction back to the uh, FAQ and, and the 30 rules and stuff. One, one thing that caught the, my attention in the 30 rules was they specifically talked about third party tokens being allowed as long as they do not obscure card information, quote unquote. Can you explain a little bit about what that might mean? Like, do not obscure card information? Should we put it on the art? Is that what it's basically saying? That's fine. Putting it on the art is fine. Um, again, it's more the idea that we don't want players making a token that completely covers a card and is something that could be used to try and be uh, deceitful in the sense of... Like oh, I'm obscuring game information, making it so my opponent can't win the win the game. Right. Okay. okay. Yeah. Or like the unit's actually dead, but hey, you know I don't know how many hit points it really had, kind of stuff. Definitely understandable there. Yeah. Yeah. I guess sort of clarifying the existence of a token is a small thing to count some value, not to be replacements a huge piece of text or something. You're saying right. like you know, you're, yeah. not, you're not like you say, you're not you're not covering a meaningful amount of the cards. So someone's wait, does that say what I think it says? Yeah, not, not not tempted to go into replacement of information on that. Well, yeah, correct. And, and and just as a side note, that when we were coming up with our tokens, we had them. I I I forwarded the guy. I said, listen, I want this to be about a third of the size of the card, right? Uh, or third third of the size of the art. And he came back with a third of the size of the card, and it was massive. <laughs> this, it, it just this. I was like, no, I can't. This is way too big. There's it's like the size of the uh, size of the eagle of, of the <laughs> initiative indicator. like, yeah, 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 a little too big there. I think even bigger than that. I think even bigger than the initiative. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, this needs to be really small. And so we went back <laughs> down. the The game is clean, uh, but there's all these little triggers that it it helps for us older gentlemen um, to, <laughs> me, to me. those things <laughs> since yeah. i forget everything all the time yeah so again, wait, the, whole, I... the whole intent is just not to be abusive towards your opponent and to make sure that you're not trying to get some unfair advantage so brad are there any games that have inspired you mechanics flavor oh, that have led to something in conquest obviously i play a lot of lcgs um, so you can notice that our new um unique orc and Unforgiven is very, very similar to um, Brienne of Tarth from Game of Thrones. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so there's an obvious inspiration there. In playtesting, we actually called him uh, Brienne of Traxxas. <laughs> um, so definitely get a lot of inspiration from other card games I played. Obviously, I played a lot of Magic growing up. So there's definite bits of that game that always can kind of seep in and ideas and stuff that's been set up um, yeah, yeah. In, in my head just... But, you know, I play a lot of board games and a lot of different things, and I'm constantly seeing, like, oh, what if we did this in Conquest? Pointing out little bits is always hard because my uh, full memory of the card pool is always, like, shifting, what I remember. And where, you know, like, it's so hard to keep up and, like, understand what is out and what is not out 
right right you're you're working ahead so far that first came to my attention that that dynamic that you designers have is when damon was on the um plugged in tour and came to colorado springs he used a, a core set agenda mm-hmm. right and he used an effect off a core set agenda which was go find a card in your deck and put it in your hand but you have to show it to the other player and he says you and i and i pointed out to him okay you have to show it to me and he's like i do wow i forget which <laughs> which, which one got printed right like <laughs> just in the play testing with a corset card uh he'd forgotten the specific effects of the card and and when you're trying to limit yourself i mean we think about i think about the card pool in netrunner the playing card pool and how massive that is and how you've got to keep all that straight i i totally understand and plus you get that mechanic and it, you massage it a bit for this particular game right i've got to imagine you know it's 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 an ongoing struggle of like how far do you push stuff how do you remember every effect you've ever done and <laughs> like try and still make unique effects so it's it's always a struggle and you always kind of Sometimes we'll get a card or two that ends up being like, oh, well, we kind of almost did that one. This is slightly different. And, like, how do we make it more different? And so that's 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 an ongoing struggle that you just you just got to fight. And there's definitely some people that have better card knowledge. Eric Dahlman on Star Wars, for example, has, like, encyclopedic knowledge of every single card, which is very admirable. I certainly don't have the, the wherewithal to memorize every single card in the game, but... Well, Carl is that for for in, in, for uh, Carl serves in that role as the lore guy. Yep. The lore just sticks in his head like it's like it's gum on the bottom of your shoe. It's insane. I can't. I can't. Like I forget about it. I forget about the specifics of a conquest novel I read. You know, two weeks after I'm done, and he has to remind me of the characters. And he read the book six years ago. <laughs> You've mentioned using a database, a development database, and I don't need to ask. I don't want any specifics about the database itself, but I've got to assume that you keep track of the language and the final versions of the cards in that database. Does that, and do you refer to that database often? Uh, every day. Um, the database actually spits out, spitting out the data from our internal server, essentially. Okay. All right. And and you did a you just recently did a tactic squad interview mm-hmm. uh, with them, and you mentioned the 0.5 mechanic. Yeah. <laughs> during the design, so. Can you tell? Can I'm really interested in that. What are the 0.5 mechanics that you look for? Like, are they ranged, ambush, deep strike, uh, the warlord groupie mechanic? I know that was a focus in the warlord cycle. Yeah. No. Um. It can really vary. It depends on the game. For example, in Call of Cthulhu, the keyword "fast" was a 0.5 mechanic. Um, just meant you broke ties essentially. Okay. Um, the player with the most fast characters broke ties. So it was just just something, a little bit of extra you can give. Um, and it'll depend on each card. Sometimes giving an extra hit point is a 0.5 mechanic. Oh. Um, sometimes giving an extra attack is a 0.5 mechanic. It can really depend on the card. I'm trying to figure out a good example. Um, Brutal's a little bit better than a 0.5 mechanic most of the time. Um, but say you gave it to a unit with only two hit points. Now all of a sudden, Brutal has become a 0.5 mechanic, because now you're like, well, how can I turn that on, and like, how can I leverage that? But it's not amazing. It doesn't do that much for you, but it just makes the card, well, technically slightly better. Yeah, 
So it sounds like um, <clears throat> there's a good concept there in Conquest of that um, binary nature of a unit's either winning the conflict it's in or flat out losing. There's no, it's, you know, mo- most things we seem to be in the state of that tiny edge there is enough to make a meaningful difference to the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's, it's it's super important, especially with um, how unforgiving the game can be and how marginal advantages build up over time, mm. and the player that can best manage those advantages generally does better. One thing I see a lot of people make mistakes in in their early games is not retreating from battles early enough and being like, well, I started the fight here, I need to finish it. And... I'm definitely guilty of that. <laughs> and everyone's guilty of that. Like, you, you get so emotionally invested in that battle and, like, it's going to be a close one, but I've seen a lot of smart players that start to develop into understanding when it's best to get out of dodge and just give the battle to your opponent and not invest anymore in like that's that's what some of the best players know how to do is they know how to like push to the absolute limit of where they can gain an advantage in a battle and then they just vanish and they're like well there we go got what i wanted it's funny that you mentioned that because i think that's the thing about broadrick war mm-hmm. that people tend to forget about you hear a lot about his can't retreat, can't be routed. You hear a lot about the plus one attack in Green Planet for Astro Militarum units. But it's the, oh, if I retreat, I die? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So it's this, that that piece of the puzzle just erodes, you know, the small victories over time. Just that one card going away, that one, I mean, even if it's just a rogue trader or a void yep. pirate. No, he... he... He definitely has a big disadvantage that most people overlook and just don't worry about. But, you know, in the details, that's where he's going to he's gonna falter. And if you don't respect that part of his card, you're not going to do as well with him. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, he, there's been plenty of times where there are no, you know, there's the one green planet is into the five. And you're like, oh, great. Yay. Well, I just remember um, when we first premiered him, and how underwhelmed everyone was with just the planet mechanic in general and being like, oh, but it's, oh, it's so flop dependent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, and then you just get a couple AM players like, like me and where all of a sudden it's like, you know what? It's not, it's, it can be, but you can mitigate that to some extent. I can't play around it very often. If there's, if there's no green planets, if the first green planet is planet five, I don't know that I can do much about that, but if there's only one or two, I can try to plan around it. But, um, but I know, love a- my AM cards. I love my AM guys. But you know that's the big thing with the the planet mechanic. You know how how often is there only one one of your icon? I mean, outside of a tournament, because you know you take it to a tournament and every game it'll be awful for you. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> well, but, again, you know, and there's there's statistically it just right? doesn't come up that often. Like we we did the math that way. And you mentioned in your tax squad interview that that you spent, if there was anything else you spent a lot of time on, it was the mathematics. That's the numbers of the planets and the icons and the card draw and the resources. And we're in the midst. I don't know if you've seen some of the postings, but uh, I'm part of a group that's trying to come up with a player run tournament mm-hmm. called the Battle for Nectivus that Saturday at Worlds. We're we're trying to find space to hold it. 
-hmm. We're trying to come up with a customized planet, just a one-off planet. Oh, wow. That's a, it's not easy. It's, no, no. It's, um, there's part of the challenge is that there's a lot of chiefs in the room, right? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of, it's a collaborative effort, so there's no real leader. Yeah. Uh, that, that can make it hard, but we're just at the early stages, and we had a dozen ideas back and forth and back and forth. Yeah, my recommendation would be is um, trying to replace one of the current planets and the thing um, as far as the icon spread is concerned. If you're going to do it instead of adding one, or if you're going to add one, add a tricon. Okay. Well, we well, current format is a tricon that we add as planet five. Okay. Uh, replacing my idea is to replace if there's a if there's a tricon at one through four, you replace one of those, so you avoid the three tricons in the first five planets. All right. Yeah. That would. That's that's kind of our thinking right now. But thanks for that. That's good advice. That's good yeah, to that's, that's that's the big things I would say is that the planet layout would best would would be the least affected by adding a tricon. And I think that's where we we started with the with the folks started developing that planet. So we were asking you about um about uh, card concepts and mechanics earlier, but um it might be like little like asking which is your favorite child here, but do you have any favorite cards? From a from a perspective as a player, favorite cards. Um, so I'd like to hear what your favorite AM cards are. My favorite AM cards. Yeah. Jeez. Uh, um, I really like Bodyguard from the core set. To be honest, um, it's a fun attachment. We had so much fun with it in play testing. I know it doesn't see play too too much these days, but really really enjoyed how it played, and. Yeah. Uh, Really gave that sacrificial nature, um, made it made it feel uh, at the forefront. Uh, and here's the funny part: I play that. I don't play it in my war deck. I had it in a couple of early versions of war, but then uh, what was it? Um, Bolster the defenses came out, and mm -hmm. that was a little bit more utilitarian. But I still have bodyguard in my Cotez deck, mm -hmm. Cotez deck, because of the sacrificial nature of it. <laughs> See, I, I always refer to that card as the Lookout Sir, because that's the name for the old mechanic in, in the Avengers <laughs> game. So I was, I was like, you should, you should have called it that, totally. Lookout Sir effect as an event or something. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> yeah. That's kind of like Noble Deed, though, out of Astro Military, where you, you uh, or not Noble Deed. They, uh, they've, they've, they've had some more uh, names for mechanics. Glorious Intervention, that's the one I meant, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember pulling out some mechanics from the 6th edition rulebook. Um, I'd say probably one of my favorite ones is also the Lehman Russ Conqueror from uh, uh, Final Gambit. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's yeah, an I awesome think... one. I, I'm looking forward to playing that in Grigory. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, and, here, it's, and kudos to you, Brad, for finding a way to make Prometheum mine and some of those other supports that you don't want to include you you you'd like to have on the table but you don't want to include too many of them in your deck and now they're useful it's that's uh you can have a dozen three shields for your signature units that's amazing yeah on those gregory decks wow yeah, that, that that's gonna be fun it's really <laughs> gonna be fun it's, i well and that's one of the things i love so much about this game brad i mean you guys come up with uh you guys came up with unstoppable i that really kind of changed how people play Space Marines, and then you came up with Deep Strike, and that and that's you know I'm gonna I'm enjoying seeing how that's expanding, and now you know Gregory's 
signature or, or with hit with his uh, special ability changing deck construction, you know, because sometimes there seems to be a, an accepted idea of, Oh, you include X amount of units. You include X amount of resource or I'm sorry, you include X amount of supports. You include X amount of events ideally. And then when a mechanic comes, it can take that and throw it all out the window. I think that's great. (laughs) So what are, so I'm sure Carl wants to hear some favorite Eldar cards. Ooh, Eldar. <laughs> Definitely a, a fun faction. Um, that was Nate's favorite out of the core set. Um, was that right? Yeah, he, he really enjoyed um, playing uh, just their, their controlling, just very, very manipulative play style. Really fit well with just his. Um, you know, obviously, I really like Doom. Um, I thought it brought a lot of depth and interesting. That's a favorite of mine. I mean, say we're not going to get that no more response. Are we, uh, we won't cuss when, in this episode. No, no, no. no. It, I think it, it helped shape the core set experience. Um, so I, I thought it's had a really important place in the game, and you know you still see it pop up in deck lists. So most most commonly forgotten card, I think. Sent by yep. newer players are like, oh, that exists. Well, you know, and and you, I, you had mentioned in a very early interview that you wanted act, you wanted all of the seven factions to have access to a board wiping mechanic, and do between Doom, Warp Storm, and Exterminatus. That's mm-hmm. that's what I think. Out of those three cards, Exterminatus has probably played the least. Would yep. be my guess, because Doom is because an Eldar player playing that controlling deck can really set somebody up for a doom that just cripples them. So. Yep, and, and, that's, and that's fine. You know, it's more mechanically having access and being able to threaten and going against a, you know, a Space Marine Tau or Aster Militarum deck and being like, does he have Exterminatus? <laughs> and having that, that sense of like, I'm not sure what my opponent is capable of, but he can be capable of a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And having those bits in the game adds depth, adds replayability, adds to the player the player experience of fun, essentially. It's only so. Um, go ahead. So, so with respect to the, I mean, you've created those cards and and other and others. What drives the okay? This card is good. With that this card is finalized. Is there a process that you go through with yourself to say okay? That's a final card. So it's a lot of playtesting and tweaking back and forth, and it's definitely like a mental switch that gets flipped in respect to each and every card of like, you know, I usually feel very tense about cards when they're not right because it's like, oh, no, eh, it's not quite there. <laughs> but then generally when you get a card and you're like, ah, yeah. and it just it kind of slots into place and you, you, you feel good about it at that point. Um, and that happens different times for everything you know sometimes there'll be a card that just gets thrown in the the playtest file right at the beginning and it's like wow oh wow okay yeah yeah <laughs> i don't feel like i need to change that unless something disastrous happens in playtest there's other ones where i'm like well maybe it'll work <laughs> yeah what would you say do you say your first take on on these cards is uh under well uh, under underpowered overpowered or just right what's what's the share there I generally shoot to go overpowered with my cards to go into playtesting. In general, I find it just gets players wanting to try the cards more. We we get into the mode of looking for abusive cards, and then we try and dial it back. 
obviously sometimes stump, stuff slips through the cracks or mm-hmm. I think something's way more interesting than it actually is. So we'll, it'll, it, you know, it's, it's all about massaging everything into place. Um, yeah. I think I've mentioned it here before, but, uh, uh, the poet, uh, Wergel, um, was quoted as saying that, you know, with his poetry that he, he licks it into shape much the way that a mother bear licks their cub into shape. Um, <laughs> and I feel the same way about a set. You have to slowly like lick it into shape, just piece by piece, by card by card, getting it built up and perfect just over time. Right. So that's interesting because one of the things you're kind of saying there is you always start high on the power curve, partly so people will spot bad interactions more easily because you've exaggerated them. And I guess Mm -hmm. also so that people kind of get the feel of the card more because it's an exaggerated version. Yes, there's there's definitely a factor of that, but it's also a sense of you want your playtesters to go into a new set excited, not just for new cards, but for a real sense of like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it does this. Let me try and just break that apart. Right. <laughs> and it's and to some extent, making a card weaker is probably procedurally easier than make trying to make a card stronger. Generally, yeah, because when you, you know the like, well, we've went too far with this. What can we do to bring it down? Right. Is way, way easier than, well, this card sucks. No one wants to play it, and we have no data because no one has played it. Right. How do we make it better? Of course. Way harder, way harder prospect. It just, like, you know, because you have no playtest data when it's a it's a weak card because no one wanted to play it, and so your only information is like, oh, crap, that didn't do what we wanted it to do. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Doom was one of your Eldar cards. What else? Any other Eldar cards that um, really stick out? Really, really a big fan of Fortel. Uh, that one's the cancel battle ability? Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Getting more important. <laughs> big big fan of that. It's just it's a, it's a super fun permission. Um, and players, when you're playing against it, forget about it so often. And then you're just like, no, oh, no, sorry about that. Yeah. Definitely, it's, it's a very Eldar moment of like, well, this thing you were counting on is no longer the case. And now I get to, you know, put you in a bad spot because you forgot about it. Well, yeah, and I watched, I just recently watched the uh, national championship match between mm-hmm. Rick and Nathan. And Mitch provided some commentary and talked about Nathan not having a foretell or a nullify, not realizing, maybe not realizing that that Nate was Nathan was partnered with Chaos there. Mm-hmm. I, I think after triggering Taurus four times, uh, Rick triggered Taurus, I think, four times. Yeah. Rick is like, I think I need, um, Nathan is probably thinking he needs to pair with Eldar. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, no, mm-hmm. like, it, it, um, that's how it goes. But, you know, Nate, Nathan was trying to play the meta there, and I think it helped him get along through a lot of the kit that was in the tournament. But, you know. It's a hard matchup when you don't have the same control effects that Eldar has, and they can just take control of the board like Rick did in that game. We don't play a lot of Eldar, maybe besides Carl here in Colorado, and so it was really uh, a thing to see uh, the play that Rick made, the plays that Rick made, and, and how they were really, really very... Uh, no, Rick's learned. a great player. He deserves that win. Um, Hard-fought tournament. Yeah. And he's a local Minnesota guy, right? Yep. Both Nathan and Rick are. Yeah. Oh, okay. Great. So, John, do you want to hear about orc cards or not? <laughs> I'm just teasing. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, Astro Militarum is one of my favorites, but I love 
works as well, Brad. I've said before, I'm a, I'm a blunt tool when it comes to my, my uh, deck strategy. Uh, I just figure I want to beat you over the head with it as hard and fast as I can. So what are some of your favorite orc cards? And, and Brad, you cannot answer Enraged Orc. <laughs> I know. I was going to. Shut up. <laughs> um, I really like how to flank them. Um, I had a lot of fun with playtesting uh, with that card, including a game where I played all three in one combat. <laughs> um, oh, my gosh. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It, it, it's 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 pretty nasty. Um, wow. And there's so many so many orc cards. Orc cards are so much fun to design. Um, well, the the flavor text alone is inspiring on those things, man. Those, <laughs> it's 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 wonderful. Needs more DACA. I mean, there's I I would say that uh, as a community, we we reference more orc flavor text than any other faction. That's yeah, good. That's that, good. Yeah. We get it. We get our finest orc scientists to uh, work on that flavor text. Exactly. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Um. I, I really like the Blitz Obama. Um, oh, I love that one. Bro. That's something oh. we see on the table quite a lot in our yeah. local area right now. Yeah. yeah. No. Um. That was one of those cards that um, when the design popped out of my head, when you know, working on uh, the Death World cycle, it was definitely a put it on the paper and go. Well, I'm, that card's going to probably make it most of the way through. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, he's, you know, and it's funny. Because I, I keep reflecting when the Necrons box was first announced. Mm-hmm. And I believe Standard Bear was either in the fan or was very clear what he did. Everybody was like, man, an Astro Militarum. Hey, an Astro Militarum. It doesn't work with Astro Militarum. And now it's like that standard bears in Space Marines, autom- almost automatic include in Space Marines, and auto- almost automatic include in Orcs, simply because of that untap. Like, you untap the Blitz Obama, and yeah, I just did three damage to you. Now I'm going to play this one unit, and I'm going to do three more damage to you without even blinking. Yep. Right? And so it, it's funny how those things turned around. Similar to War. Similar, you know, standard bear war. They're all like, "Oh, this is not very exciting." And it all, you know, once you get to that stage in the game, and those cards get released, people realize, "Oh, these were uh, these are a lot better than we thought." Just that ongoing struggle of understanding, like, cards are really, really thought out. We're planning everything, and sometimes we can't show you guys the whole picture right away. Oh, absolutely. And it's kind of tough on you sometimes to see the comments and be like, oh, no, you just don't realize. (laughs) Just wait. Just wait. Yeah, well, you know, it comes back to when, uh, you know, the game was first announced and people were super underwhelmed by this one card called Packmaster Kith. And we're talking about how, how bad she was and how upset they were with the Dark Eldar were getting the short end of the stick and, like... You know, eventually people figure that stuff out, and you can't really, you know, blame them. They don't have the whole picture, and they're making assumptions, but they want mm-hmm. to talk about it, and they're excited about the game, so more power to them. Yeah. So yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so, uh, any so we've talked about some uh, orc and Eldar and AM units. Are, are there is there any one particular card out of the, not not the Death World cycle because it's not even out yet, but any one card out of the, maybe the Planet Fall or the Necron box that you're particularly proud of? Hmm. Let's see. I'm trying to remember his name out of the Necron box. 
Uh, the Decaying Warrior Squad is probably my favorite <laughs> part out of the Necron box. Yeah. Um, one of the earliest concepts we had for Necrons is just like, what about a card that never went away? Um, and he is the kind of like end game of that idea, um, along with, uh, what's the other guy? Reanimating? Yeah, the reanimating. Oh, yeah. Yep, so those two are the... the, the end result of that idea of like what if we had a unit that you could never get rid of yeah well which one is the one that the, the two two that when he takes damage he goes to the next planet is that the that's, decaying that's, that's three. Three. reanimating okay that's reanimating so so here's a little known thing that i just learned was i was playing a smash a gun battery deck that basically gave mobile to those units because it's li limit once per phase so if <laughs> i use the smash a gun battery he just moves those units over to where he wants them to be yep so it neutered my smash gun battery idea. <laughs> so, but those those are frustrating and fun. And I have to tell you, weight of the eons, and that uh, I just got decked the other night by a weight of the eons deck, and he he just errat just decked me completely. Yeah, it's fun. It's interesting how fast your deck can go away when there's four cards going away every turn and eventually six. <laughs> yeah, and the good thing with that is I think that's still hard to pull off. Um, you know, we didn't want to, we had a point in which the Necrons had a very strong milling strategy built in. Um, and we just felt like it wasn't conquest -y enough mm -hmm. and it was too far in the realm of them playing another game. So we dialed that back by a lot. We've reached a pretty good spot of not too much mill, but there's still a little bit, but it's still like not the most ideal strategy. Well, and and he was in this particular game I played. He needed particle whip out because he was also milling himself, right? Yep. So that's where he's like, I need particle whip. Oh, there it is. Okay, I can put cards back in my deck now. Yep. Uh, so so that milling strategy is there, but it also mills him. So without the particle whip, it can be the self defeating. Exactly. So. The best instance of that I've seen so far was um, a friend of mine playing against a Space Marine deck. Pretty sure it was the the Dark Angel. And um, they were just drawing like a mad thing. The guy had like 12 in hand, 14 in hand. Then all of a sudden, one turn became, here's a way to the Aeons, here's a way to the Aeons, here's the way to the Aeons, let's help you along. And it was halfway through the game, but he still wiped him out because obviously, you know, he'd, he'd given no sign of planning to do that. So it'd been, it'd been a smart mill. It was a, it was a good call for like, oh, okay, since you're doing that, let's, let's speed that up. <laughs> you, yeah. have to, you have to be clever about it. It requires finesse. And the goal is that it never becomes a completely overwhelming strategy in the game because it's not it's not conquesty enough to be a feature but it is part of the game and so embracing it to a small degree is smart yeah what are some of the trends in the meta that uh, can you speak to some of the trends in the meta that you're particularly proud of um, um something that I excites mean, you I, I like the the slowly rising elite decks that are coming out now um it's good to see some meta shift you know we have cards um coming out like in the Necrons box, uh, uh, the STC Fragment and um, who's the Freebooter Captain to try and help that along and change the idea of what people have about Conquest. Um, I think we've seen a lot of interesting decks at the top tiers of tournaments lately. So, I mean, I'm just super proud of where the meta's at and that we have so much variety and like I have no idea what's going to win Gen Con, and that's an exciting prospect. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. 
And so talking about Gen Con, you're going to be there, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing? Yeah, I'm looking forward to the harmonious nights of Gen Con. Uh, <laughs> it's going to be quite, quite, quite the show. Yeah, yeah, it should be fun. W- one question, uh, viewers of our of our videos may realize this. I don't know, Brad, if you've seen any of these, but I used the cards that you doodled on, the planet cards, <laughs> as the cards as I put them up. Like here are the first five planets, and I say additional artwork provided by Brad Andrews. <laughs> All rights reserved. So <laughs> there was something, I think there was something in the attorney rules. Maybe it's old, but is doodling, are cards that are doodled upon legal? They're modified. <laughs> uh, they are technically subject to judge's approval. Oh, okay. Uh, All right. But anything I've doodled on, I approve of. So. <laughs> I'm, I'm not, you know, it's, it's a big thing is, you know, art is a recognizable element of a card and helps with recognition across the table and so any of the artwork i typically do is secondary and not going to affect the baseline recognition of a card um (laughs) it's when you start to like oh i took my uh blood angels veterans and i blacked out the entire art and drew hello kitty that you start to get into territory where it's like uh well it's really hard to tell what your card is across the table and that's not cool and that's when you start to get into those sections of like, well, I didn't just make my Blood Angels veterans Hello Kitties. I made every card in my deck Hello Kitty. And now there's a huge recognition problem. And then that's the kind of thing we'd be like, well, sorry, but you're going to need to find new copies of your cards. Right, right. And that's why why a while back FFG said of their living card games that only alternate art cards released by FFG were were legal for tournament play. So. Those the tarot size planet cards that you used that you gave out to worlds. Mm-hmm. Um, Elliot Head Elliot Headman was a top eight, and he's a local player, and we use those, and it's still kind of it's just different enough. It, the, it, the the artwork is the same, but it's just different enough that I have to think a little bit harder <laughs> about those planets. Yeah, no, it's 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 tough. It sounds like you are completely approving of the meta, as I think. John, Carl, and I are all, all approving of the meta. I think it's very diverse. No, um, anything that concerns you? No, it's super It's super healthy. Like We have so much variety and new decks coming up. Necrons are still an unknown factor, but we've seen them, seen them win tournaments. Like There's just a lot of excitement and good stuff going on in the meta. Like I couldn't be more pleased. Um, you know, I, I still think there's a couple sleeper decks out there. Uh, Obviously, Seth Rosen's uh, placings in um, the Black Crusade tournament with his Urian deck. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I want to see him take that to a real tournament, and especially now with Thousand Cuts. Oh, yeah, that card in Urian, that's going to be phenomenal. Didn't I play that against you on Friday, John? Uh, no, you didn't play that no. deck. Okay, I... I played I played a Urian deck with the thousand cuts and everything else, mostly because I I wanted to play a Dark Eldar deck. That was I didn't want to play Kith, <laughs> so I was like, oh, I'll try Urian, and I could throw them together. And that thousand cuts is a card. Holy moly, the yep. double shields, the damage, you know, yep. wow. Use it for the damage. You put it back in the deck. You, you know? shuffle back in, and it's your and and as one of my players, one of my my opponent pointed out, I was like. The more you use it, the more frequently you're going to get it because you're shuffling it back into the deck that's smaller. Yep. Right. So. And, and great flavor text on that card too. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't remember that one. 
one, two. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. But it's it's important. It's important though. It goes to four on the card. It's an implication <laughs> that generally generally you can't have four of of a card unless it's a signature card, and it's not a signature card. Right. So yeah. The implication that you're getting to four is the fourth time you're playing, your opponent goes, ah. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a renewable. It's a keeps coming back. Yeah. Yeah. Well, excellent. And is there anything else you'd like to share uh, with the community? Thanks for sharing your time today. I know that you've been jonesing for the internet and to spend an hour with us on it. Uh, yes, Brad. Thank you so much. Is, oh no, I want to. I, you know, if I were to say anything, I just want to thank the wonderful community out there. You guys have been uh, just amazing, and I appreciate each and every one of you guys. So thank you so much for being a part of my life and just being awesome. <laughs> John and I, as we've said before, will be at Worlds in November, and we'll be there with our laser guns fully charged and ready to go. Uh, we're partnering with the First Planet Podcast as well as Octagon Warmaster Sam Mann for, as hosts for the Cigars and Beers Night at uh, Joe Sensors uh, the Wednesday night after the Swiss Tournament. Uh, Brad, you are also, of course, welcome to join us there if you'd like. Well, you know, <laughs> it'll happen just down the street from the FFG event center. I'm sure Brad is probably familiar with the place. Yes, we. Um, Nate actually uh, has a uh, fantasy football league that I auctioneer for. Um, <laughs> very cool. And we we do it at Joe Sensors every year. Oh, very oh, cool. Awesome. Sam's bringing the stogies, and we'll be raffling off some various conquest swag. Uh, we hope to see you there. And then, uh, secondly, a group of community members, as I mentioned in the podcast, is also working on a player-run special event to take place at Worlds, tentatively called the Battle for Nectivus. Watch for the various interwebs for more information coming. Thanks again to Brad Andres for joining us today. If you'd like to join the discussion, have ideas for future episodes, feedback, or questions for us, you can contact us at TrackSuccessTheWarcast at gmail.com, via our Facebook page or Twitter at TrackSuccessTheWC, or leave a comment in the episode's comment section. This episode was sponsored in part by Rocky Mountain PC, where you can save 10% if you mention you heard about them here. Thanks for listening. The Emperor Protects. And um, enjoy the internet, Brad. I, I, I can't even imagine what it was like to not have that. Oh. <laughs> the, the twitching. So so many YouTube videos left and watched. <laughs> all the kittens missing you all Saturday. How, hey, how, how much? How, 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 how will everyone know my opinions about things if I can't talk on the internet? Well, that's what I was gonna say as well. You you were say I, I didn't get it into the recording. You were saying earlier about like how you see people like missing the point about kiff or whatever. And all I can think of is like I can't go to bed. Someone is wrong on the internet. <laughs> <laughs>